0: Good morning, Two Rivers Church. My name's Mark. I add my welcome to that which you've already received, both here on our campus, down in Blend, and all the way down in Ampt, out in Bearden, and in Roan County as well. We're glad to be together together. Together together. Does that sound together together? We're glad to be together on this fine Super Bowl Sunday. Yes? I didn't wear red. I didn't know what to do. I, it is what it is. Hey, I want to take you back 30 years ago. Or-ish, around there, 30-some years ago, we had toddlers. They were about four and five, three and four, four and five years old. And I don't know if you've ever had difficulty getting your kids down for the night, but we oftentimes found ourselves having difficulty getting our kids down for the night. And we had a tiny little house, and there was three bedrooms upstairs, Terry and I's bedroom, Emily's bedroom, Megan's bedroom, and a tiny little hallway out there. And the walls were paper thin, the doors were paper thin. It's probably the cheapest house you could possibly ever own or, 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 or partake in. And uh, the girls were acting up. And so Terry had been, it had been a long, exhausting day for her. So I went in and I took care of it. I manned up. I went in and I disciplined Emily because she was out of line. And I gave her a stern speaking to. And when you're raising girls, I never raise boys, but when you're raising girls, a stern speaking to can send them into a wailing frenzy. I mean, just emotionally undone and spent. And so she's wailing in one room. Megan's tagging in from the other room. She's crying because her sister's crying. And I felt like, well, I, I did all I knew to do. I, I manned up, and I, I was the bad cop tonight. So I went back in bed to bed feeling pretty good about myself and laid down next to Terry, and she said to me, you know you punished the wrong child, right? <laughs> I'm like, what? She goes, it wasn't Emily. It was Megan. Like, no. Nah. She goes, Mark, I'm telling you, it, it was Megan. And so I laid there in bed for a while, like literally paralyzed as cries are coming from the other rooms, and... And I could feel in the dark of the night, Terry's eyes piercing in the side of my temple. (laughs) And I didn't, honestly, I'm not exaggerating this story. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I was laying there paralyzed. I had no context of what to do next. But I knew that I was no longer welcome in our bed. (laughs) So I went out into the hallway, and I just got out of range where I could think Terry could even even shoot a glance toward me. So I'm standing outside of our doorway in the hallway as both the girls are still screaming. And I'm I'm like, I don't know what to do. I I don't know how to... What, what, what do you do next?" So Terry comes walking out into the hallway, and she goes, what are you doing out here? I said, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm clueless. She goes, what do you mean you're clueless? You need to go make it right. You need to go make that thing right. You need to go apologize. And I looked at her and went, yeah, I, I don't have a grid for that. Well, you better figure it out, Mark. You need to apologize. I, I never saw my parents apologize to each other. They had a good marriage because they just kept their mouths shut, I guess, right? I never saw, I've never experienced my dad ever apologizing for spanking me or taking care of me in a way that he should have never taken care of, right? I, I, I don't have any grid for this. And Terry goes, grid or not, get in there and apologize. So, as an obedient husband that I am, I walked in there and, and, and I sat next to Emily on her bed and she stopped wailing because she's like, what, what, what are you doing in here? And I, I was like stammering over the word, I, 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 I'm sorry. And it was almost like it came from a guttural place. It, they, these were words. And I'm not proud of this, but these were words at 32, 33 years old I'd never spoken before. How do you get to be 32, 33 years old and never have spoken the words, I'm sorry? And there's something about little kid's touch. This, this got me more than anything else, raising our girls. When their tiny little hands would put, their, put themselves on the back of your neck, there's something about that. It melts me. And she put her little hand on the back of my neck and she said, it's okay, daddy and I was like, yeah, it might be okay in the moment, but it's not okay. It's not okay that that, that you could be 32 years old and not know how to make amends, knowing that you can be wrong. Obviously, that wasn't a surprise to me, but how do I move from what's wrong to making it right, to making amends? And that night, though I didn't enjoy it, maybe even despised it, Terry was an advocate for reconciliation. Terry was an advocate for forgiveness, and that's exactly the same scenario that's emerging here in the text we're in today. If you've been with us last week, we started a brand new series called uh, Little Letters. And so we're looking at some little letters and there's a little letter we're going to spend some time in called Philemon. It's the book, it's a tiny little book. Tiny little letter just before you get to Hebrews, so if you can turn your Bibles, we'll get there in a moment or two. But that's exactly what's taking place here. Paul makes a radical ask. He's, he's actually going to a guy, writing to a guy named Philemon and asking him for restoration, re- reconciliation. He's asking for a word that literally, literally never appears in the text itself. It never comes up in the letter. But what Paul's asking Philemon to do to this runaway slave, he says, what I'm asking you to do is to forgive this guy, to forgive him. And we're not talking about the kind of forgiveness that we live in day in and day out. Like, you get home from work and you didn't drop off the dry cleaning. Hey, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't bring the dry cleaning. I didn't take the clothes to the dry cleaners. That's a forgiveness you can get over. Maybe it irks somebody for 20 minutes, but, but it's not a big deal. We're not talking about that kind of forgiveness. We're talking about a radical forgiveness that defines us as followers of Jesus. It's a radical forgiveness that is oftentimes beyond reason. It's a forgiveness based solely on our identity in Christ that we've been a forgiven people, and therefore we're called to forgive. Paul's basis for this radical ask and this request is what we talked about last week. The big idea from last week was the life-transforming presence of Jesus is lived out in relationships. How do we know that, that Jesus has really had an effect on our lives? It's how we live with each other. The Bible says the world will know that we belong to Him by what? By how we love one another. How we practice forgiveness. How we practice a loving relationship with one another. How we get along. That's what He's calling us to. So, this appeal made by Paul is based on the unity in Christ that the Spirit has already established in us. And can we all agree on this? Relationships can be messy. Here and on other campuses, can I get an amen? Are relationships messy? They're messy. The best relationships are messy. Some of you are sitting next to people today and you're smiling, but there's some tension below the surface that not the, the rest of us don't know about. They're messy. They're messy at home. They're messy at work. They're messy at school. And they're messy right here in the church. Relationships can be a crazy place to be. And yet living relationally connected, both to Jesus and other people, it's messy, but it's But it's where we're called to live. We're we're called to live in the tension and the mess of it all as we move toward reconciliation and forgiveness with each other. And the way the presence of Jesus becomes real in relationships is in a love so deep that it embraces radical forgiveness. To forgive someone, to really forgive someone who's offended you, it, it engages a radical forgiveness. And so Radical forgiveness, it defines who we are as relationally connected followers of Jesus. I hope you've been around here for a while. We, we believe God's called us to call you to be followers of Jesus. And so followers of Jesus live this radical, this, in this radical place of forgiveness. So let's read Philemon's mail. Anybody ever read your mail? Let's read his mail a little bit. It's a really interesting letter. And I love that it's as brief as it is. We're going to wrap up an entire book last week and today. We're, we're going to finish the book of Philemon. And we, we spent last week working through the first eight verses. We're going, to, we're going to finish the whole chapter. It's a tiny little letter, tiny little letter. It's personal for sure. It's one of the most personal letters that Paul writes. But it's interesting if you look at it, he includes a whole lot of people. On the front end of this letter, he includes a whole lot of people that are, that are aware that this letter is going out. And, and Paul and Timothy are actually writing it. Maybe Paul's dictating it and Timmy's, ri- Timothy's writing it down. But at the end of the letter, there's a whole bunch of other people that are included as well. And it's a letter that doesn't seem to carry like the doctrinal punch that a lot of Paul's letters do. If you get to Colossians, a, a letter that's assumed that, that, that traveled alongside this letter, Colossians has a doctrinal punch to it. But this letter, this tiny little letter, has no less of a doctrinal punch, but, but it's a lot more applicable. It's an, it's an application of our theology, how we live and love one another. And what Paul is calling this this guy Philemon and all those who are reading this letter to do, he's calling them to a place of radical forgiveness. On behalf of a runaway slave, this guy named Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul's writing this letter and he's saying, I want you to be back into reconciliation with him. I want you to restore your relationship with him. I want you to forgive him. So we're going to pick up in verse eight. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ, this is Paul speaking. Accordingly, accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. This runaway slave, Onesimus, has now become a follower of Jesus. Paul's evidently led this guy to Christ, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's now one of us. So if you consider me your partner, Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will, I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Paul's referring back to, hey, I've led you to Christ. I've led this guy to Christ. You owe me this. Not in a harsh way, but he's reminding him of who he is. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, and, and in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, so do Mark and Aristarchus, <laughs> Aristarchus. I mess that word up, that name up every time. I practice that 18 times. <laughs> Aristarchus. Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul's writing this letter and he's going, hey Philemon and all of you other ones who are listening in, the church and other people I've included, I want to call you to a place of radical forgiveness, a place of relationship, and you know, the first few times I read through this letter, I thought, this isn't an ask at all. This is, man, he's cornering this guy. He's manipulating this guy into a corner where he's got no choice but then to respond and do what Paul says. Even with all his flowery language in here. He starts off with like, hey, I'm so encouraged by your love for all the saints. And, and, and I know you're going to do even far more than I ask you to do. I could compel you to do this, but I don't want to compel you to do it. I want you to do it out of your own accord. I want you to do it out of a place of love. It sure seems to me like it's a manipulative letter. And yet the more and more I read through this letter and the more and more I read through other writings that Paul has given and laid out, Paul's not afraid to tell you what he thinks and feels and what he thinks you should do. Read some other parts of Paul. He gets right to it. So so here's what what I continue to discover as we understand how the scriptures came to be. They're divinely inspired and and humanly participating. But Paul's a normal guy. Maybe more than a normal guy. He's a boisterous guy. He's an opinionated guy. He's a strong-willed person as we see all throughout other letters that Paul's written. Paul's no less Paul in these letters. And yet I would argue that genuinely speaking, Paul's saying, I could command you to follow my instruction. I could command you to do it in, in the authority that's mine in Christ, but I want you to do it out of love. I want you to do it on your own accord. I don't think it's manipulative at all. I think Paul's going after the heart of what's taking place here and calling Philemon and those reading this letter to a place of of being um, radically forgiving of this guy. Paul's giving himself and inviting them to do that. Forgiveness is a messy place to be. It's complicated. Yes, it's ongoing. It continues to be something that's required from us. But this common reality that we experience in forgiveness is both vertical and horizontal. There's a need that we all have for forgiveness. It wasn't that we all came to Christ, and the day that we came to Christ, all of our sins were forgiven. That's true. But but has anyone needed forgiveness since that day? Anybody? Yeah, I think we have, right? There's an ongoing reality that takes place in, in my vertical relationship. Jesus forgave all of my sins. And yet I'm going back on a daily basis going, I stepped out again. Will you forgive this? All that was paid for at the cross. But yet he requires me to come day in and day out and confess my sins. It's an ongoing reality, vertically and horizontally. It would be great if I said to Emily at four years old, hey, forgive me. And that would just take for the rest of her life. I've been apologizing to that child for 30 years. It's ongoing. It continues to happen. It continues to be in the mess and the muck of relationships as we step out and step over and step into the muck of our own stuff. It's both vertical and horizontal. And yet it's what the gospel, it's what the scriptures call us to to live in in the tension. If radical forgiveness is going to define us as a people, it requires that we love each other enough to advocate, to advocate for the unity in the body which the Spirit's already given us, that we'd advocate for that, just like Terry did in the hallway that night, that we'd advocate for reconciliation. Followers of Jesus advocate for reconciliation through radical forgiveness. Followers of Jesus advocate for radical forgiveness. That's who we are. That's that's who we are as followers of Jesus. Apparently, several years ago, I, uh, I offended a pastor in our denomination, pretty profoundly apparently, and uh, I never really heard that from this guy, but um, he, he shared that with his circle of friends. And now, not only have I offended now this one other person in the faith, I've offended his group of friends. And it, it started to be this, this reality, this issue within my life and the relationships in which I live within our denomination. I thought this is just odd and, and, and this is difficult. And I shared it with a friend and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this guy's name was Joe because his name is Joe. And Joe said, "Man, this isn't right. We got we got to see what we can do about this." And so he began to write letters to this guy that was was holding something against me. And uh, not really getting a response and I'm um, asking if we could have a conversation and not no conversation came back and so um, Joe and I, this guy, and a bunch of other people were at a conference. I think it was out in California this past year. And we were out in California at this conference. And we were praying that maybe, maybe perhaps that there would be some reconciliation, some move on this. And Joe had prayed to that end, had written letters to that end, and advocated to that end. And yet there didn't seem to be anything that was going to happen. In fact, I ran into this guy a few times, and he, he purposely went on his way to avoid me. He didn't want to deal with it, which is fine. Everybody's not in the, same, in, in the same calendar that we are in terms of trying to make things happen or work, Right. So we were driving, Joe and I were driving back to the airport at the end of this conference and talking about this, going, well, I I guess it wasn't meant to be. I I guess this isn't the time or the space that this is going to take place, if ever. And so Joe had the, the easy pass, came through security. I was in the line for a while, and Joe was on the other side of security when I came out. And he said, hey, look right behind me. Guess who's standing right behind me? It was the very guy that we've been trying to have a conversation with and some discussion with for months and now at this conference for three days. He's standing right there and he's looking at his phone and Joe goes, you ready? We're going in. Like, okay, let's do this thing. (laughs) And so we went in. Had an awkward conversation, and yet I felt like at some level moved forward, at least further along in reconciliation and understanding. And and there was a peace that that, that came from that conversation that would never have taken place had Joe not prayed about it, had Joe not sought and and advocated for reconciliation. And, and, And that's exactly what's taken place here. This is precisely what Paul is pursuing between what now are two brothers in Christ, Onesimus has had a life-altering move in his world as anyone who moves from death to life has had. He's a runaway slave, and yet he's run away from this guy Philemon, run away from the community, and found himself in Paul's care somehow, and now he's had this life-altering, significant event in his life. He's now a fellow follower of Jesus. He's now one of the saints in whom Philemon's called to love and care for. He's become a follower of Jesus. Paul's led this guy to Christ. He's moved from death to life, and I'm, I'm always skeptical, don't hear me wrong, but I'm always skeptical when you, you know, you're watching some newscast thing and they're talking about this prisoner's up for parole and all of a sudden he found Jesus and he's using Jesus as a, as a reason by which he should be let out early because now he's a follower of Jesus. He's going to be a productive part of society. That may or may not be true. And I think a lot of people do find Jesus in prison. I, I know that they do. And yet sometimes I think people use the Jesus card to get out of consequences. And that doesn't seem to be the case here. A most radical shift's taken place in in his identity, and there there is, as there is for anyone who's had a radical shift and given themselves to Christ, and and yet what we see taking place here is not only has has Onesimus become a follower of Jesus, and I would think Paul's circle was small, and he was a decent read of of what was really going on in the spirit of another person, in the spirit of Christ in another person. He's saying, this guy who was once useless to you, who likes that? This guy was useless. He says it right here in 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 the letter. But now, guess what, Paul? He... Guess what, Philemon? He's useless. He was useless, now he's useful to you. In fact, his name means beneficial. Not only is he useful to you, he's been a great source of comfort and encouragement in the work of the gospel. Paul says, this guy's, this guy's a part of the gospel work. In fact, Paul goes even schmoopier and goes to another level with all this. As a guy, I think Paul would be pretty a rough exterior. He goes, this guy is a spiritual child of mine now. He's calling him a son. And he goes further, he's my very heart. I don't think I've ever said that about another man. Paul says, this guy is my very heart. It's pretty intimate language for him. And what he's he's pursuing with Philemon and the gang there, he's saying, this guy's become so incredibly significant to the work of the gospel. And before we move further, I don't want to skip over the obvious in the passage. There's there's an elephant in the room in this passage. I think it's why a lot of people don't want to go to Philemon, because Paul talks about this guy being a servant. And right there, because of our history, our culture, our understanding, we want Paul to step aside from the text right now and go, hey, slavery is wrong. No one should be a slave to anyone. And yet Paul doesn't do that. And people assume because Paul doesn't do that, he's affirming slavery, which is not the case at all. Not the context at all. And we'll get to that in a second. It's, it's not what he's saying at all. In fact, that's not the point of the passage. That's not the point of what he's calling Philemon and the gang to forgive. In other parts of Scripture that Paul writes, he, he, he speaks profoundly about the context and the culture in which we live. But, but what he's saying is, hey, the spiritual reality of who we are supersedes any context or cultural reality that we live in. In Colossians chapter 3, when Paul's writing to believers there, he says, Do not lie to one another seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not a Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, and then read the next line, slave or free. It's not about being a slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What, What Paul's calling the church to is you need to see this guy in a new light. He's no longer He's no longer useless. In fact, this guy's a follower. He's one of us now. His life has been transformed. Anismus has a new identity. And yet, hear this. His new identity does not erase the consequences of his behavior. His new identity in Christ hasn't taken everything away and the reality of the culture in which he lives and the violation that he's committed, not only against Philemon, but against the community there. And Paul's saying, I want to hold this guy accountable to this. I want you to know that I see what he's done. And yet the work of forgiveness... That he's calling the, the, the church to, he's calling Philemon to. He says, this isn't optional. This isn't optional. Th- this man is now a brother in Christ. He's now one of us. The scriptures call us to forgive this guy. And Paul's drilling this home. It's the very gospel work we're called to. Radical forgiveness is a life to be lived. I hope you hear that. Radical forgiveness is a life to be lived. It's not a one and done deal. It's a place that I think and know that we're called to live every day. What I experience and what we experience. It's a place I know that God's called us to live in the space of radical forgiveness. It's described by Paul and Timothy in their letter to all the churches of Colossae. We we read this past week and live it out. Hope you're in there. Trust you are. Hey, take off the old self because there's a new life to be put on. It's a new life to live. We're we're, we're new people. Colossians chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, did you get that? Bearing with—he's talking to church people. Bearing with one another, and if you're underliner, underline this: If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want to read that part to you again. Forgive, forgive, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, folks. Let me just. Let me just stop for half a second. This is not an optional deal for you. This isn't like, well, that forgiveness thing, that's for the Christians who want to go further in their faith. No, you, you're a follower of Jesus. You're going further in your faith. And part of going further in your faith, it's not an optional deal for you. We're called to forgive as Christ forgave us. That's what he's calling him, him to here. It's non-negotiable. Forgiveness is certainly something we choose to do, and yet the choice is not as much about forgiveness, hear this, as it is about being obedient. Did you catch that? We're told to forgive as the Lord forgave. It's not, yeah, it's a choice I have to make to forgive, but the bigger choice in my life, do I want to live obedient to what Christ says? Do I want to live obedient to what the Word of God says and speaks to me about? It's a call and a response of obedience. The question is then for us, who do I need to forgive? Well, the obvious answer is anybody that's offended you. Who do I need to forgive? You might be looking at me going, Mark, you don't have a clue about what's taken place in my life and what's been done to me. I, I do have a clue. Not fully, but, but I have a clue. And you might be going, yeah, I, I've forgiven this person. I get it. We're, for, we're supposed to forgive. I get it. I've forgiven them three or four times. But, you know, just last week I ran into them in a restaurant and they did the same thing to me again. How many times am I supposed to forgive? That's a great question. In fact, we're in good company. Peter asked Jesus the same question. How many times am I supposed to forgive in Matthew 18? He says, Lord, how many times? And he throws a big number out there. He uses the perfect number. Seven times? Do I forgive seven times? And Jesus goes, well, you're getting close. Try 77 times. And I think the point there is so many times you can't keep track. Who who knows if you've forgiven 77 times? If you're really keeping that kind of a tally sheet, we need to get you some help, right? (laughs) But he says 77 times. And then what Jesus does, which I love what he does, he breaks into a story. I love a good story. He says, there's an unforgiving servant. The king came to settle his accounts, and this unforgiving servant was called in. He had a debt that was so massive, he he was so deep in debt he couldn't repay it. In fact, the king said, it's time, the time's come. It's time to step up. Pay up, boy. And he said, I can't do it. And the king said, well, I'm going to sell your family and put you into slavery and and put you in the, the prison until you can work it off. And the king, the guy pleaded, he said, please, king, please have mercy on me. Not my family, not all this. And, and the king showed mercy. And he said, all right, you've got an enormous debt. You, you couldn't work this debt off your whole lifetime if, if you gave yourself to it. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to forgive you. Some of you know the story. That same guy went out. There was somebody else that owed him some money, piddly money, like Starbucks money, Chick-fil-A, maybe tops, right? I mean, he had, there was not much to forgive, And this guy, this unforgiving servant, said to the guy, pay up. Come on, pay up. He goes, I don't have the money. Please, 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 please forgive me. He goes, no, I need you to pay up. Put the guy in prison, because legally he could do that, until he could pay back his debt. Word got back to the king, as words do. Got back to the king, and they told the king, like, hey, that guy that you forgave all that to, he turned around and didn't forgive somebody else, and the king said, seriously? No, that's not in the text, but Seriously? Seriously, you, you didn't forgive all, all that I've forgiven you, and you turned around and didn't forgive. And Jesus says at the end of the story, he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Folks, allow that to rest on you for a moment. Allow, you, allow yourselves to feel the weight of that. That's, that's the non-optional choice we have to make, that we be a people who forgive from our heart. This is a life that we're called as we follow Jesus, as he's radically forgiven us, there's no greater debt. There's no greater debt that's been paid in my life than the forgiveness of my sins. No greater debt have we experienced. And he's saying, in in light of that great debt, I'm calling you to forgive others. Paul says to Philemon, I want this to come from from a, a good place. I want you to choose to do this. I want this to come from your heart. And I recognize that forgiveness is a messy topic. It, it, it's a complicated topic. And I realize for some of you, it's easy to forgive. I had a brother. I felt like he could, he could forgive quickly and we'd be fine in 20 minutes. And I was like, I need a day. I need some space. For some of us, forgiveness comes a little harder. It takes a little bit more work, right? There, there's a, a place that we're called to live in that, that might take a little bit more. Folks who don't know Jesus oftentimes are the very people that wound us because they're not living to the same standards we are. And I think sometimes for me, let me just speak... For me personally, this isn't contextual to the the text. I think it's easier sometimes for me to forgive folks outside of faith than inside of faith. They don't know better. I'm not saying people are ignorant, but they don't live into the same standards I am. Why would I hold them accountable to a standard that I live in that they don't even apply to or, 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 or own? And so for me sometimes, oftentimes, if not always, it's easier for me to move to a place of forgiveness to someone who doesn't know Jesus, though that's tough. But what is tougher or when people inside faith hurt us. When people inside the church, when people who call upon the name of Jesus, who are fellow followers of Jesus, who, who are part of the church, do some damage in our lives. Don't feel bad for me, but my greatest hurts haven't come from the world. It's come from you, the church. When I think back at the damage that, that, that I've walked through in my life, I've, it's come from other Christians. And, and sometimes that space is even harder for us to forgive. Harder for us to step into because we ought to be treating each other better. About 11 or 12 years ago when Terry and I were interviewing here at the church, uh, we sat with the elders for about an hour, hour and a half one night, and they were just praying over us. And they didn't know our backstory. They knew enough. We weren't being secretive about our story, but our backstory, hey, the the kitchen sink kind of stuff, we we didn't tell all the details of everything that was going on in our life and so we were praying, and, 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 and these guys and their wives were led by the Spirit to pray for us. And, and it was about an hour in, and one guy goes, I, I feel compelled to pray for you in a way that I, I hope this is helpful for you, and I want to pray that you'd forgive. I listened, and I, he said, I believe there's been some significant damages that's taken place in your life, in the life of your wife, in the life of your children, in the church, by people you trusted and you loved, by leaders. And and this is what he said. I didn't know how much I needed to hear it until I heard it. He said, I I want you to forgive us. I said, what? He said, I I want you to forgive us. I just met this guy. I've known him for five hours. Us? What do you mean us? And there was a a moment in my life that that unlodged some stuff right then and there that this guy was advocating for radical forgiveness, reconciliation. He didn't harm me. Who is advocating for a life that I know that I'm called to live in, that we're called to live in. There's a decent number of you who've been damaged by the church. Someone in the church, a pastor, a leader, growth group leader, whatever, has has wounded you. You know, we 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 run a, a, a pastor's class, waiting class three or four times a year. And and every time we go through this class with folks who've come from other places, some are Brand new to church and finding Jesus for the first time. Others have moved to the area, some have moved from another church. And inevitably in, in every class, there's at least a, a couple or a, a person or two who, who who somehow comes out of the woodwork and says, You don't know how hard it is for me to trust. I've been so wounded and damaged by the church. You, you wouldn't believe the stories. And can I tell you, yes, we would believe the stories. They've happened here too. We, we, we would believe the stories. And so for you. For you, listening in another venue or in this space here, as, as much as the Holy Spirit will allow this comment to penetrate your heart, I pray that, that he will. W- would you forgive us? W- would you forgive us for the hurt and the damage that has been a part of your spiritual journey? It grieves us. grieves me to think that you've had to carry this wounding as long as you have. And would you allow The Holy Spirit to move you to a new place of forgiveness. And I recognize that 30 seconds in a talk on a weekend may not erase all the pain and hurt that you've gone through. And for a lot of us, it's not as simple as as a moment of clarity. For a lot of us, it's moments of clarity that are discovered and understood and unpacked with, with people who love us Friends who know our story, who, who sit long enough to hear our journey, to see us, and to step into that hurt and pain. Sometimes it even involves counseling, a counselor to step inside and, and bring some objectivity. But, but here's what I know to be true. No matter where you are in this, no matter where you are in this spiritual journey of forgiveness, I know this to be true, and it's still true for you. It's not optional. Wh- whatever it takes for you to go to a place of radical forgiveness is where Jesus is calling us to go. It's where he's calling us to be. I said at the front end of this message that this is messy. Folks, this is as messy as it gets. But let me make a few comments before we move on. You know, I've heard people say uh, things that I think are damaging to the way we think about forgiveness. And, And they just, like, let them roll off their tongue as if they're scriptural or if they're theologically accurate. Hey, to forgive is to forget. Hey, you need to forgive and forget. You need to just move past that. Can I just say, that's stupid. I can't forget. I'm not wired to forget. To forgive is not to forget. I I think that minimizes a whole bunch of reality. I think that adds guilt and pressure and shame sometimes in our lives because we think, well, if I can't forget this thing, that means I haven't forgiven it. And so we walk with this sense that there's this unforgiveness in us. I don't think forgiveness means to forget. It also doesn't mean holding a tally sheet, and every time you see the person going, yep, did it again. I expected it. I don't think forgiveness means forgetting. But I do think it means calling us to a place where every time I see that person, there's, there's a couple people in my life <laughs> that I forgive on a weekly basis. They have no clue. And I go, Lord Jesus, I forgive them. I forgive them. It's an ongoing reality. It doesn't mean that I forget that this is who this person is and how they're wired, but, but it means I move into a place of, of radical forgiveness. Forgiveness is also not synonymous with trust. Just because I've forgiven you doesn't mean I trust you. And that doesn't also mean that you're not a good follower of Jesus. Trust may come. It may happen, but sometimes it never happens. There's a book called The Cure. (laughs) Forgiveness and trust are separate issues, they say. Even if I've forgiven my offender, even if my offender has repented and asked for forgiveness, I will still in the future have to deal with the issue of mutual trust. Forgiveness carries the hope of renewed trust, but it offers no mandate or guarantee. Let me read that last part again. Forgiveness carries the hope of renewed trust. I think, it's, I think it's great that we would have a hope for renewed trust, but it offers no mandate or guarantee. There are people that I've moved into a place of forgiveness with that the relationship has never been better. It, in fact, it's made, it's made our, our, our relationship and, and our friendship even deeper and greater, and, and it has even more power because we've been able to move through that. There's other relationships in my life where that's still out there. It's unresolved. Forgiveness doesn't depend either on someone confessing or engaging in the process of making things right in the way I think they should. Did you hear that? In the way I think they should. Well, if they just do this, this, and this, and I could forgive them. Well, that's a, that's a hefty line you got there. So, so nobody can be forgiven unless they do this, this, and this. And, and how does that person know what this, this, and this is? And is it, that even the criteria that we should be holding up against other people or for other people? Forgiveness doesn't often come in the spaces that we think it should. And I believe what, what this invites us into, and this is the, the messy part, and I think it's the messy part is where we're called to live, that there's a mess and a tension in living this life with each other. There's a lot that happens on this side of glory that's not resolved. I have a couple relationships. One, I know for sure because he passed away this past year. I'll have to figure that out on, in glory. But, but there's, there's a reality that, that there's so much that is, is remaining unresolved in our lives at times in, in the terms of relationships. I love this letter, and I love if you look at this letter, it doesn't get resolved. We don't know what happened. Did Philemon forgive? Did everybody welcome Onesimus back? Did Onesimus become the bishop of Ephesus like some people say he did? There's a guy named Onesimus who became a bishop. Was it the same one? He wasn't the only Onesimus that ever lived on the face of the earth. It'd be a beautiful story. Hey, do this, and this is what will happen. If you do this, this, and this, reconciliation will take place, and everything will be great. Beautiful bow on it. I love that we don't know the answer because that's where I live. That's where you live. We live in the, the, the unresolved. And, and the resolve isn't the goal. Yes, reconciliation, restoration is beautiful. And, and if that takes place, that's incredible. But what we do live in is in the tension of what God's called us to, is to being obedient, to move toward forgiveness, to move in forgiveness. That's what Paul's calling for here. And I think that's why Paul didn't wrap it up with a bow at the end. It's less about the outcome and more about obedience to radically forgive. The other side of the same coin of who do I need to forgive? Folks, you got to flip the coin. I don't don't know if you want to do this or like to do this, but you have to look at the other side of the coin. Who do I need to seek forgiveness from? There's people out there trying to forgive you. They're out there trying to forgive you. Who do I need to seek forgiveness from? This life is impossible to live without hurting other people. Anybody moved through last week and didn't damage anybody, hurt anybody, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, leave someone with something that you didn't want to leave them with? No, there's not a one of you here. I know you. I know me. Heard the old saying, hurt people, hurt people? Hurt people, hurt people. We look at that as other people. Well, you can't expect them to do anything else. They're hurt and they're, they're hurting other people. Well, people are looking at you and going, yeah, you're hurt. You don't even know you're hurt. And you're hurting other people along the way. I heard this quote this past week. I thought this was amazing. It says, If you don't heal what you hurt, you tend to bleed all over those who didn't cut you. Isn't that good? If you don't heal what, what's been hurt in you, you tend to bleed all over those folks who didn't even cut you. I've been bleeding over my wife and kids and other people and friendships and relationships that have nothing to do with them and everything to do with something that's ain't, that they've been right in me for a long time. I know each of us love to be the hero in our own story. Some of us even love to be the victim in our own story, though you wouldn't confess that amongst friends. But deep down inside, you love to be the victim. So let me take you to one more space. You're the villain in someone else's story. You are. There's somebody else at dinner tonight who doesn't want to mention your name at the dinner table because you'll ruin a good steak. That's a good steak dinner. Don't don't bring her name up. Don't bring his name up. Not tonight tonight. You could possibly be the villain in someone else's story. I was 32 years old before I started to not just own my part in in damaging others, but to seek what it means to make amends. And I got to tell you, I've been tripping over that for the last three decades. What does it mean to make amends? What does it mean to move in and toward forgiveness from other people and with other people? And Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome. He's saying he's imploring them to, to live a life of love all throughout Paul's letters. He goes, live a life of love. I want you to do this out of love for one another. Live a life of love. If possible, so far as it depends on you, he says, live peaceably with all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. A lot of us, including me, have used that verse like, I did all I could do. No, he's saying, if possible, as far as it depends on you, with the Holy Spirit living in you, with a mandate to forgive, with God having forgiven you, as possible, with all that God's given you, live peaceably with all people. That's not, a, that's not an excuse verse for us, like, hey, I did all I could do. No, that, that's a call for us to dig in and do further. As possible, as far as it depends on us, give yourself to this pursuit. Give yourself to love. Give yourself to the pursuit of forgiveness. That's what he's calling us to. Yeah, all we can do is all we can do, and yet the Holy Spirit takes it even further. The Holy Spirit rises up within us and takes us and moves us to even greater places and moves to places that we thought the tension would never be released, and yet conversations take place. Mutual understanding happens. We're called to actively pursue forgiveness as we follow Jesus. And inherent in all of this, I'm sure you've caught this, I'm sure you've understood this from Paul's thinking and his writing, inherent in all this, in order to embrace this type of forgiveness, we have to first of all believe that we've experienced an undeserved level of forgiveness, a radical forgiveness from Jesus that we could never repay. We have to know that we've been forgiven completely, totally. Radical forgiveness is based on being radically forgiven. Folks, that's our starting point. We've been radically forgiven. We have a relationship with Jesus because you and I had a debt we couldn't pay. Amen? Amen? And there's an old song, take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to the place where I first received you. I want to take you back to a place right now because I think it's important. And I, I would even argue even further, this is where forgetting isn't a part of forgiving. We, I plead with you, don't forget the past. Yes, all things have become new. The old has passed away. We're not held in bondage to it anymore, but I got a memory. I got regret, and regret means I don't ever want to go back to that place. Let's not forget where God has rescued and saved us from. Take me back. Take me back, dear Lord, to that place when I first received you. I want to take you back. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to, to just be still for 10 to 15 seconds and go back to that place in your walk with Jesus when you knew you had nothing left. You were at your end you knew that there was nothing you could do to fix your relationships, nothing you could do to fix your sin issue. You were drowning in the sin and shame that owned you and defined you. And Jesus stepped in and rescued you and saved you. So many folks thinking that Jesus can't look on sin. Apparently he can. That's not true. Not only did he look on our sin, he stepped into it and put it on himself. He, he wrapped himself in our sin and and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to pay for our sin and shame. So so I want you to go back to that space when when you knew that you knew that you knew that Jesus stepped into the mess and muck that nobody else really, really knows in your deepest conscience, in your deepest heart, in your spirit, that Jesus stepped into and rescued you. Just think on that space. If it's a mental picture, a time in your life, think on it for 10 seconds. It's right there where you are. I want you to also know that Jesus saw you, saw all of it, wasn't turned away by it, but stepped into it and rescued and saved you. That's the radical forgiveness you and I have received. Who could stand in front of us with any greater debt than we've had with Christ himself who paid our debt? When we we wrap our minds around all that he's done for us and all that he's rescued us from and the life he's now given us in him, There there is no other response then to be obedient to the call in our lives to forgive as he forgave us. I love the call through Scripture for us to remember. Jesus calls us to remember as he was hanging out with the disciples the night before he was betrayed. The night before he, he literally was going to the cross the next day. He knew what was happening in the days ahead. He knew what was happening in the next few hours he had the wherewithal to sit with those he loved deeply. And he said, I need them to get something. I need them to grasp something. Something I'm going to do for them right now that's going to have greater meaning as they move past this moment. And he invited them. He said, I want you to take the bread. I'm encouraging you right now to take your communion cup. And if you don't have one, you can grab one in the back of the room or raise your hand in your venue. Someone will going to bring a, a communion cup to you. And, and Jesus took the bread. He took a loaf of bread amongst those who were gathered there that night. And he said to them, this bread, it represents my body, which will be given for you. They couldn't possibly have grasped the enormity of that statement he was making. But he did. That space you were in, that you needed a rescue from Jesus that only he could give. I want you to ask this question before we partake of this together. Jesus, have have I lost the wonder of the radical forgiveness you've given me? Have I lost that? Take me back. May we be a people who know that we know that we know in the deepest parts of our wiring, in the deepest parts of our spirit, that we've been forgiven. Our sin is great, His grace is greater. Take and eat. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took a cup of wine. And again, he's reminding them to do this in remembrance of him. He said, I want you to remember. I want you to remember this. This is going to be something that you're going to have to think about and dwell on for years to come. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, he said. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul goes further. He says, as far as it depends on us, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul's saying, this is what we do. So we as followers of Jesus, as Two her Church, we proclaim that the forgiveness of God has marked us in such a great way that it causes us and moves us to a place of obedience <coughs> to forgive others. Take and drink. <coughs> Let me speak these words from Paul's writings to the church in Ephesus. Two Rivers Church be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to god folks we have the opportunity to to live this stuff out this next week to take these words of scripture and to make them not just words of scripture but a reality in our lives let me encourage you, as we continue to follow Jesus this next week, that we would live it out together. Yeah, live it out. There's a discipleship tool in your, in your bulletin. And, and that's a metaphor for what we believe God's called us to do, that we would be a people that are living it out. In new and fresh ways that God would take us to deeper and greater spaces for us to live out the forgiveness that he's poured into our lives with the people right before us. This, this next week, you'll have the opportunity to ask this question. Maybe you have a handful of people you need to forgive. Start with one: who's the one person, God, that you're calling me to forgive? Who's the one person you're asking me to move further into a space? And I, I believe that as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, He'll give clarity around that, who that person is. I, I trust and pray that we as two of us church be relationally connected to Jesus, and that we'd be marked we'd be marked as a people who love one another, who forgive one another. To that end, let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this little letter that, that packs a punch. God, we thank you so much for the the power that is available to us to forgive in this way is way beyond us. There's not a man or woman in the the hearing of my voice who has the propensity and the depth to forgive in this way. We, we We have experienced a great deal. And yet, God, through the power and the work of your Holy Spirit, this is the work that you and you alone can do. Would you find us, Lord, in a new way, being obedient to the call in our lives? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No better place, no better way to um, enjoy the forgiveness that's ours than to stand and raise our voices in worship to Jesus. I invite you to stand.